Hi, welcome to the podcast of our Wednesday night study here at First Baptist Church, Dequeen. As we go through the book of Revelation, my name is Pastor Josh Herwick, and I am pastor here at First Baptist Queen. Over the next few months, we will be looking verse by verse through the book of Revelation. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us here at First Baptist Dequeen uh, through our website, dequeen.church. And there on our website, you can find all the information you need to get in contact with us. We can't wait to hear from you. And feel free to drop a like or a share of this podcast if you find it helpful. Now, we are in Revelation chapter 15 this week, Uh, so we're going to start right off there. Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Uh, This is John writing, the Apostle John. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. These last plagues that are about to be unleashed will bring about the satisfaction of God's wrath. These are the last judgments that the earth will experience. The sea of glass stands before the throne. That is the the same language from Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, describing the sea of glass that is before the throne of God. The fire, though mingled with the sea, may very well represent the final destruction and judgment. And then we have the harps that are in the hand of the victorious. They show the worshipful celebration being exercised by the victorious. There's one guy named William Barclay. He said it like this. The real victory is not to live in safety, to evade trouble cautiously and prudently to preserve life. The real victory is to face the worst that evil can do. And if need be, to be faithful unto death. Now, this is why Christians from the early church referred to the day of a martyr's death as their day of victory. Now look at verse, uh, verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the Lamb of God, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So God here is being praised for his great deeds. Justice, truth, glory, and holiness. There are are two songs of Moses that this references here. uh, Very similar are each of them from Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, And the song here in Revelation 15 is, is comprised of several specific Old Testament phrases. And there is a prophecy telling of a time when everyone in the world cannot help but acknowledge the greatness of God. There will no longer be any delusion or self-deception about the reality of God's sovereignty and His role in the universe. Now look at verses 5 and 6. And after this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. These seven angels come out of the very presence of God. God's presence is opened, and the seven angels, bearing the final judgments of the world, come forth with the full backing of the Almighty. They are adorned in complete purity. 
Their role is pure in nature, for though it is judgment, it is also justice and compassion. Look at verses 7 and 8. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, bowls uh, have also been used in Revelation for the prayers of the saints. Now, these bowls here contain the wrath of God. Now, there are some who say that they are related, the prayers of the saints and the wrath of God, because bowls are used for each. But the language used seems to suggest that they are each simply bowls that are used for different purposes. In a similar way, we may use a bowl for soup and a bowl for uh, in the same bowl uh, later on for cereal. Uh, same bowl used in different ways. Same instance here from what we can gather. And then there's a, a praise phrase, uh, speaking of God, who lives forever and ever. Uh, this follows the mention of the wrath of God. That indicates that praise should come at every moment and that everything that God does is praiseworthy. And then, the smoke of God's glory filled the sanctuary. God's presence was so manifested and thick that no one could enter into the temple. Once God had started to expend his wrath, no one could interrupt him. What God has set in motion must come to fulfillment. Now look at Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So no one is able to enter the temple until the end of the seven bowls, because God's presence is consuming the interior in its entirety. So the voice that projects from the temple must come from God because no one else can go in there. The, these last plagues are then introduced by God himself. Uh, and with the first bowl being poured out, boils uh, break out, painful uh, sores uh, break out upon the people. And boils broke out in Egypt. Uh, in Exodus chapter 9 with the plagues there in Egypt. Uh, and God said in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 35, that boils were a punishment for disobedience. Now, that doesn't mean that every instance of boils was a punishment, but that God could utilize them as a punishment. And so those who have the mark of the Antichrist or the beast uh, and worship the idol uh, suffer a great sore. And the sore is bad and evil, so much so that all seem to suffer as one. Now, that word harmful there means evil, and the word painful means harsh or difficult. So those unrepentantly committing evil, harsh, and sinful acts will experience the evil and harsh results of those acts. Verse 3, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and became like the blood of a corpse, and, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. So now, the entire sea is impacted in a powerful and final way. Everything within it has died, without exception. 
Whereas in, in, in Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, only a third of the sea was turned to blood, and only a third of the living creatures in the sea died. But here, the entire thing is hit with the plague, and everything in the sea dies. It's worldwide devastation. Uh, look at verses 4 through 7. Now, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So with the outpouring of this bowl judgment here, the remaining water in the world is turned to blood. You know, the last one, we had the sea. Now we have everything else, the springs, the rivers. Uh, humanity is doomed now because there's no water to drink. The contamination of the water signifies a, a soon-to-be-realized end of things. Thus, humanity is, is soon not to need earthly water because there will be no more earth. And this angel here, in, in what he declares, he declares that this is a judgment on the unbelieving people of the world for their treatment of believers, God's people. Look at verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. So the sun, you see there, has no power within itself. And this is a theme we've seen throughout Revelation. It says the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. So the power only comes from God. He is only, the sun is only allowed to do so much. And it, it pours forth such, such intense heat that people were being burned beyond a normal sunburn that someone might get today after being in the sun for too long. Uh, and then the people having experienced this, it says that they curse God. That word literally means, that word curse literally means blaspheme God because they blame him for their suffering. So they recognize God's hand here, but they will not turn to him. In, in blaming him, in... in, in cursing him and blaspheming him, they ignore the fact that God's judgment is simply his justice being fulfilled. And the people do not want to admit any amount of wrongdoing or sin on their own part. They, like all of us even today, are looking for someone to blame outside of themselves. Look at verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Now, this judgment here is poured directly on the beast's seat of power. The passage does not give any specific insights into the full ramifications of that act beyond darkness and pain. The cause of the darkening and pain of, is not given. The pain could be the result of the darkness, but we don't really know. All that we know from the text itself is that God brings the darkness and intensified pain. The people would already be in pain because of the sore from verse 2, but this pain is different from the sore. This pain is so intense that the people can only gnaw their tongues 
as the pain grew in intensity. The people then refused to repent. They still curse God. Look at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, the Euphrates was the boundary of the Roman Empire. Beyond it was the unknown. They didn't know what was out there. There was a common fear during the first century that some unknown kingdom would come via the Euphrates and invade because so much was not known about the land outside of the empire. The way is here, because of the Euphrates being dried up, cleared for an unknown evil. The last obstacle is removed for enemies to come marching in with their armies. Look at verses 13 and 14. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now, frogs are are dirty and evil. Great signs or miracles are performed for the kings, not the common man, though it affects the whole world. So we have these frog demons going out to uh, uh, tempt to perform signs, to do these miracles for kings of the world, for na- uh, national leaders of the world to get them to do the strategy of the enemy. You see, these frog demons come out of the mouth of the dragon, that is Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the beast's false prophet. And so they are communicating as one, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, to do this thing. These evil demonic spirits, they direct the world leaders to, to unite them and gather them for a great battle. Now, we're not told here how these specific events will play out, but we do know that the spirits come from Satan, his beast, and the beast's false prophet to convince the world leaders to come together in an unprecedented show of force. Look at verses 15 and 16. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So there in verse 15, hope is interjected. In the middle of the evil, with the voice of Jesus. This is in parentheses in many English translations. This is the voice of Jesus, coming like a thief. He says, I am coming. Coming like a thief. This is language that was also used by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2 to describe the coming of Jesus. Jesus is saying that the end is getting close. He's saying, don't get worried. Don't get panicked. The end is coming. Don't uh, freak out. Here it comes. It's about to happen. I'm still coming. Don't get let anxiety overwhelm you because I am about to walk through the door. So accordingly, believers then should anticipate the coming of Jesus and be properly, as he says, dressed. Be dressed in the activities of the Lord. He's not talking physical clothes, what we put on, like wear your Sunday best kind of mentality here, uh, because God told, uh, God said in, in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when we dress in a certain way, we're not dressing for God, we're dressing for other people who are looking at us. And so he says to be properly dressed, then we need to dress our heart. 
in the activities of the Lord, in the motivations of God, in, in, in our spirit. And so this happens, and then in verse 16, the armies are assembled. The armies of the world, remember the frog demons went out and did miracles and gathered together the armies of the, the, nation, the world leaders, and they brought their armies, and they assemble here. And this assembling at Armageddon is very interesting because in actuality, in Scripture or in the modern world, no such place exists, past or present. place called Armageddon doesn't exist. Some people take that word Armageddon, which is a transliteration, which means they took uh, a word from a different language and then wrote that word with the alphabet from their own language. Like it's, you know, a Hebrew word written with Greek letters that we have then written with English letters. And so some people then take that and break down the literal word to mean uh, used. They, they piece up the word and they think then that it means Mount of Megiddo. Uh, and if that is in fact the meaning, that place also does not exist. Now there is a city called Megiddo and it sits on a mound of ruins and a plain of Megiddo. But a city and the plain are not a mountain. And so it does not exist. I mean, a plain of Megiddo is the opposite of a mountain. And so this place, as far as we know, does not exist. Uh, but that's not the issue here. You see, because what's it, what, the point of this verse is that the armies of the world are gathering. And so wherever this assembly gathers, the point is that they do gather to fulfill the battle plans of Satan. Look at verses 17 and 18. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Now, some interesting things in these two verses. The air was initially thought to be the dwelling place of demons. Uh, and if that is what's in mind here, that could mean that their punishment um, is a part of this seventh bowl judgment uh, here. But the bowl pouring brings with it a pronouncement of the end. God says from the throne, the voice comes uh, out of the temple from the throne and says it is Done. Now, that's also an interesting phrase. The, the voice comes out of the temple from the throne. So the throne is in the temple from what we gather in this verse. And we've seen the throne room of God. So this verse implies uh, directly <laughs> that uh, the throne room of God is represented by the temple of God. So being in God's presence is being in his temple is what we're seeing here. And so God speaks out, it is done. And the voice coming from God uh, seems to be a similar idea to the phrase that Jesus uttered from the cross. It is finished. And these incidents in, in verse 18 come with the declaration, that come with the declaration uh, of the end, rather than with the pouring of the bowl. It says the bowl is poured in the air, and then God declares it is done. And then the events of verse 18 take place, this great earthquake. This is the greatest earthquake to ever befall the earth. And it comes as a result of God's declaring 
the end. Not a direct result of the bowl being poured out, but the earthquake comes from as God makes his pronouncement of the end. Look at verses 19 and 20. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountain was to be found. Look also at verse 21. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plagues of the hail, for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So the godless civilization is destroyed. She receives not just God's wrath, but look what it says, his fierce wrath. This is the only place in Revelation where a phrase like this is used, referring to the draining of all of the fury of God's wrath. This will be such an intense judgment that has been reserved for this exact moment. And the devastation is immense for, look what it says, all the cities of the nations fell, and Babylon itself is broken, possibly fulfilling the call from Revelation 14.8 saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon. The earthquake is not the final display of wrath. You see there, hailstones follow. And the hail is unusually large to the extreme, to the tune of 100 pounds, about 100 pounds, 100 pound ice balls falling from the sky. And yet, still men cursed God instead of repenting. And we're going to continue to look next time at Revelation chapter 17. Thank you for joining us today as we uh, examine Revelation 15 and 16, as we continue to journey through the entire book of Revelation. Join us again in the next one as we continue to see what God is communicating through his revelation. And I'll catch you in the next one.